If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We have been using AR now for a couple of years, but we saw people were showing little gimmicky things, but they didn't know how to emotionally connect using the technology. And we said, let's start showing people that we can create characters that they can relate to in AR. Cheryl Bayer uses augmented reality both to entertain and to inform. As CEO of the interactive AR content platform and media company Living Pop-Ups, Cheryl draws on two professional backgrounds, both in entertainment and education. In the entertainment field, Cheryl worked in casting as head of talent and development at ABC Productions and as senior vice president for comedy at Fox Cable. In education, she's the owner of the Hollywood-based Children's Enrichment Center Creative Space, which gained a national reputation for innovative classes. And today with Living Pop-Ups, Cheryl and her team have created projects that have included the world's first augmented reality comedy series, The Augmenters. In May of 2018, Living Pop-Ups presented The Augmenters Live at VRLA in Los Angeles. Living Pop-Ups additional ventures include a series of AR episodes, which appear throughout the new book, Charlie Fink's Metaverse. Living Pop-Up's additional work has included bringing information to life through storytelling and characterization for museums, tourist attractions, and the educational field. Cheryl, before we get started talking about all the incredible things that you're doing right now with Living Pop-Ups, how did you first get inspired to make creating entertainment your life's work? Good question. I loved sharing stories with people. So, and I felt like that's historically from Indian time, you know, that's how things transpired with storytelling. So, and seeing how people are so differently wired, if you can make stories that had developed characters that they, people felt like you knew me, that they could connect to those characters in a way that whether you knew them or you knew a family member or they were interested historically that those were, you know, characters from history that also were human and so how to make it emotionally connect. So that was something that was always inspiring to me. And then doing it in television and starting in television, seeing that there were ways to reach mass audiences to do that. My so-called life came from angst as a teenager, and I appreciated when I saw Roseanne developing her story was about, oh, she was talking about a real way that she was managing parents, or 70s show was what teenagers were doing, and doing it in a humorous way, being open to discussion about certain topics, whether it be underage sex or stealing your parents' car or smoking pot. How do you land something respectfully and use humor to open up people to have a conversation? Which we're going to see a lot of in living pop-ups, a lot of humor, a lot of fun. How did AR, augmented reality, first become something with which you began to work in your career in the entertainment industry? Well, my partner, Jamie Dixon, he and I He used AR for the first time in a movie called 42, which was Jackie Robinson's story. 
and where he created Epic's Field in AR. And, you know, he had come from visual effects and always using technology in the movie business. And he did Michael Jackson's music video, Black or White, where he invented the word morphing. And so being a part of storytelling and using technology was organic to him. And from my end, being involved from inception, telling stories and using different ways of telling stories. So that 70s show used 360 camera work for the first time. And Malcolm in the Middle was one of the first comedies that was using single camera So organically, I loved the idea, and I knew that people were talking about those characters as if they were their friends or as if they knew them, you know, in the world around the water cooler and high school or what have you. So I was like, okay, well, what if we had the characters have narratives that people can relate to in their world? And both of us had seen, we have been using AR now for a couple of years, but we saw People were talking about it, and they didn't know what they were doing. Or they were showing little gimmicky things, but they didn't know how to emotionally connect using the technology. And so we said, let's start showing people that we can create characters that they can relate to in AR and continue a narrative in AR. It sounds like that was the beginning of your story of creating living pop-ups. Is that correct? Yes. Please tell me what happened next. So... One of our first big projects was Charlie Fink's book, which was the Charlie Fink's Metaverse. And Charlie is one of the contributing editor, ARVR editors of Forbes magazine. And he called us and he said, I'm writing this book. And I said, okay. And he said, I'm still writing it. And he called the day after Thanksgiving. And he said, I'm releasing it at CES. And we said, when CES? And he said, like, second week of January, first week of January. And we're like, okay. And I said, so, well, what's the themes of the book? Give me what the different chapters would be. And he said, well, it's kind of the evolution of human behavior and technology. And I said, got it. And I said, well, what if we create an ensemble of characters, like roommates, that live within your book that we watch them evolve with technology and we watch their relationships and their evolution pass almost like how the new yorker magazine has little cartoon that just says it all so we did that per chapter and really we said let us show people let's not just talk about it and so we showed and it did very well and so that was kind of our first foray in doing that. And then when we were at VRLA, we created the first office workplace comedy of a startup company that is an augmented company that that only lives in AR. And so that was kind of our next thing. We just felt like showing would be better than talking. Take me back in your imagination, would you, to the weekend of VRLA. What was that like for you with the Augmenters, the AR comedy that you were mentioning, going on in the middle for the first time of this conference? Well, it was very exciting to us because while we were there, we saw not only were people responding to the characters, like feedback, like, oh, and we had dropped different episodes at different times. So within the two days, nine episodes were coming 
at different times. And yet, once you finish the conference, you know, the convention, then how people kept it and have continued to watch them. So, or have watched them because they didn't have a chance or they watched the first one. So during the conference, it was very exciting because people were coming up to us and either saying, I can't wait for the next episode, which was very exciting, or they were videotaping, like, you know, FaceTiming or videotaping, you know, and sharing it with friends that were in Florida from here in L.A., you know, or all over the country. And after leaving the conference, you don't see, it was on Sunday, you couldn't see the tallies of what kind of numbers we got on the downloads. But to see that from a conference that had just over 6,000 attendees and to see that for a events app that a little over 2,000 people, and it's still continuing to grow because people are talking about it, have downloaded the app and watched the episodes. I got calls this morning on my way into work where people were saying, I just watched the last episode. Hilarious. Augmenters is a startup company who are trying new things. So the first thing they try is Augmenters. And then as that is having struggles with their funding, and that's true to life for a lot of startups, they then start Augminers, and they are starting a couple of new companies because we had a request to continue using those characters. So the Augmenters are coming back with nine more new episodes. So what's exciting is to show that actually by supporting the technology with substantial storytelling, it can work. Let's skip that app right now for anybody that didn't get to go to VRLA. Right. If you still want to see the first series of Augmenters, you can download LP VRLA. And if you don't have a badge, you can use a single dollar bill flat on your table and see the different episodes. So we made it that it was exclusive during the conference, but after the conference, anybody who wants to can see on LP VRLA and use a dollar bill. LP, VRLA, and if you don't have a badge, get out a dollar bill, and that is a bargain for great entertainment. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned before people were doing augmented reality the wrong way. Obviously, you're doing it the right way, but what are some of the mistakes you were seeing people make? Oh, well, I wouldn't say they were doing it the wrong way. I root for everybody to be successful at using VR and AR. And both Charlie and I know another who was a keynote speaker, and I know there was another gentleman from Disney Imagineers who also spoke about the technology is there. TVs were around. If you just had a box in your house and you didn't have compelling content on it, no one would care about having this box in your house, right? So the technology is one part of it, but if you don't create compelling content that people will invest and continue to come back to, then it will be disposable. And my hope is that people take what I've seen as what looks like a Happy Meal thing and made it from a gimmick, invest a little bit more time and invest a little bit more into the storytelling part of it to set the technology up for success that way. With that in mind, what was the creative process like when you created the characters, the Charlie Fink avatar and Ripley and Wade for Metaverse? We, we start with the idea of what's the story. 
right? So, like in TV series, what's the concept? What's the story? Who are the characters? Like they're real people. Who are they? What are their what are their gifts and what are their flaws? And how can we make them human-like that people can laugh at themselves? So for Charlie, Ripley, and Wade being roommates and how they interact with each other felt very organic to anybody who's ever had a roommate. And for Augmenters, everybody, when they hear, oh, Ned, he takes himself so seriously. Every time he talks, he sounds like a TED Talk and a light shines on him. Right, you start laughing just at that. Everybody it relates to the fact that there's a kid named Seymour who works for the company, who comes to these conventions and is a collector of swag. Anything free stuff, he's in. Everybody can relate to that they work with somebody or they're that person, like a Bhavna, who takes it so seriously. And then the other thing people can relate to is the Veronica, who is somebody who has kids, who works at the company, who has this job and who loves coming to the conventions because she looks at it like me time and a little bit of vacation. So those are all, whether it's you or someone you know, that's something that you can connect to. I was laughing out loud when I saw the Wade sequence at one point where he says, just got to have one more headset. And Ripley is saying, no way, because you broke my last. I think she said something like 240. That was so much fun. Right, right. Oh, well, I love that you just said that you laughed out loud because that's what we try to do and, and that you remember, you know, means we're making an impact. I think that's the key to storytelling. You mentioned on your website, I didn't want to neglect to mention that you're with Living Pop-Ups doing a lot in the education field as well. There's a statement you make that there is no distinction between entertainment and education. Why do you say that? Because I think that even uh, the kinds of content that I was talking about, whether it was Malcolm in the Middle that I brought up, that birth order was interesting and fascinating to me. It prompted conversations about where people were in their birth order or whether it was that 70s show where it was talking about the truth about what teenagers were doing. It prompted a healthy and in what was considered a traditional sitcom, it was prompting healthy, constructive conversations that were very informative and educational. Because, you know, we're, it's experimental times, and the truth is when we were all teenagers, we were all experimenting, and so how do you then learn to approach subjects that might, some people, you know, depending on how you were brought up, there's no judgment, but some people were brought up, we don't talk about things. And so it was... Part of our mission in creating the humor of that 70s show was how do you bring up those kinds of conversations even if you didn't grow up discussing things around your house, you know? So that was really fun. And then I also saw, because I, you know, I left Fox and I opened up, I felt like there were a lot of children being labeled, okay? So labeled ADHD. I'm not saying these things don't exist. I'm just saying they were being labeled, and because parents generationally were not as labeled, they were separating from their kids, like, oh, my son has this label, instead of realizing, well, we're all wired differently. So, you know, I opened up programs that preschool, day camps, sleepaway camps, 
and enrichment programs. I owned a place called Creative Space that had won a lot of awards because we looked at, okay, let's talk about the narrative of kids, an internal narrative of kids, an internal narrative of their families. And if we take away labels and take away stigmas, how do we look at, yes, you can, instead of no, that I can't, because a lot of parents would hear, I can't, and they, or I don't like that. And, you know, and instead of like, okay, some of that internal narrative is the fear of the unknown. Some of that internal narrative is, I'm not good at it right away. And so we would debunk and break down those theories of, okay, it actually takes 16 times for a kid to master something. So, and there were a lot of programs that would let parents try something for free once, you know, and a kid, there are certain things that a child can master in one time, but there are certain muscles that you actually need those 16 times to actually work it out, work a little harder. You know, when you go to a gym and you start training, right, you get sore first before it's not sore anymore. So it was really, in education, we did that in my brick and mortar, and then I thought, oh, we can now bring it into required reading. We can now bring it into history to, you know, have different ways that the characters from those books can pop up and ask you questions. And if you are slower at reading comprehension, it's the same looking character that if you're an honor student, you don't know, but the teacher does that we have three different levels that we're developing for children who can still feel successful in approaching reading material, historical figures, and have them engage with them appropriately and challenging. So, and doing interactive reading comprehension and analytical workbooks within the material itself felt like it was next phase of incorporating entertainment and education. Cheryl's two professions have given her a unique perspective on effective teaching styles. The teachers that we're working with are definitely people that we see have made an impact on their students. And because everybody remembers their favorite English teacher, their favorite history teacher, their favorite science teacher that did things that really stuck out, reached out to kids, stuck with them, and made an impact. So that's the kind of community that we're looking at, and then they're open to the collaboration of, it just feels like synergistically they get the team effort. And Cheryl recalled some of the teachers who had most inspired her. I had a couple of great ones, actually. I had a science teacher named Alfred Urey, who was a science teacher who wrote Driving Miss Daisy, so he showed me that you can do multiple, have multiple vertical interests and still pursue them as passions and be successful. And I had an incredible history teacher named Mr. Barnes. I mean, remembering, you know, their names. And then I had an incredible English teacher named Suzanne Springer. So those are some of my shares. And I, of course, am harking back to my favorite English teacher, Mrs. Carmine, who would tell us exactly the social landscape in which the different plays were created that we were reading. What if a teacher is listening or a parent who wants to know more about what you're doing with education with Living Pop-Ups? We are in the process. We're coming out this fall for second graders. We're doing Boxcar Children first. We felt that that was a really interesting book 
that is a second grade required reader. And, you know, kids are earlier to adapt to all of this stuff. If you go to a restaurant, you see a one-year-old in a high chair has already got a iPhone, holding an iPhone and knowing how to swipe. So we just felt like organically starting young was easy. For us, we were looking at like, okay, so we're in September, the first boxcar children will be coming out, and then we have the second boxcar children coming out in January. And then we'll have Animal Farm and To Kill a Mockingbird, which are our first middle schoolers. And, you know, we were looking at, okay, kids are cynical already. They're, like, looking at who's doing my homework. Either they're buying Cliff Notes or Spark Notes, or they're having a tutor who... Technically, most tutors with research has shown that the tutors are doing most of the work. And we were looking at how to inspire kids that if they actually have the characters who speak to them, which feels appropriate in tone and language of how they want to be spoken to, you know, they're asking them questions that are appropriate to them. So, like, using To Kill a Mockingbird as an example, if you open up that book, the first thing that will pop up will look like a sonnet from a poem, but it's really Gwen Stefani's first verse of I'm Just a Girl. And so we're using a little bit of pop culture, and then we have our version of Scout go, I'm just a girl just like her. Why are people giving me a hard time for wearing pants? And so it really starts talking. It engages them in conversation in an interactive way. We have multiple choice questions that the characters ask, and we have gamification, so you can get rewards along the way. And for each book, it's tailor-made. So that's coming this fall. And people can access this through your website, livingpopups.com? Yeah, well, right now it depends. Like Boxcar Children will have the publish through the publisher for that one, and it will also have its own Boxcar. So it'll be under Albert Whitman, and it'll also be under Boxcar Children as apps. What I really should have asked is how is the best way to get updates on any of these and anything else you'll be doing with Living Pop-Ups? Oh, yeah, livingpopups.com at the moment, and we can continue the conversation as things launch. I can reach out and let you know what's to follow. That would be great. As we wrap up here, and thank you for your time, if people could only get one thing from you as an entertainment professional and an educator and storyteller about innovation and making a difference. What would you want it to be? Staying open, being curious, and not afraid of mistakes you make. Looking at what's your next indicated to action from that mistake comes the next great invention. So knowing that if something wasn't working once, you can, I always use the theory about a Pac-Man maze. You're in control of your toggle switch. And if you've come in, hit the part of the maze that feels like you're stuck, you actually have control to back up and go another direction. So we create opportunity to know we're going to always make it, we're going to keep evolving as technology evolves and we're going to keep staying current as, you know, and open and listen and be aware of how kids are learning, how teachers are responding. You know, we look at like being open to the whole community. This has been great, Cheryl. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. You and I have been listening to Cheryl Bayer, CEO of interactive AR content platform and media company Living Pop-Ups. 
You'll find more information on Living Pop-Up's current projects, including their augmented reality series for the new book, Charlie Fink's Metaverse, on their website, livingpopups.com. That's livingpopups.com. And as Cheryl mentioned, if you missed VRLA 2018 and would like to see The Augmenters, which is the first AR episodic comedy to debut at a live event, you can get the first nine episodes by downloading the LP VRLA app from the App Store and simply holding your phone over a dollar bill. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to Over Coffee through our website, twomavericks.com. That's T-W-O-M-A-V-E-R-I-X.com, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.